0: Welcome to The Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs, tastemakers from the world of arts and culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm Hashem Montaser, founder of The Lighthouse. We're excited to share with you the news that we reopened our space in Dubai Design District a couple of weeks ago. And if you've had a chance to make it down already, we hope you've enjoyed the experience. As you may know, we published our 20th episode two weeks ago. So we're doing something different this week and going a bit behind the scenes with our producer, Chirag Desai. Hey, Hashem. Okay. So I'm going to turn the host microphone over to you and be in the hot seat today. This is a bit weird. Is it really that strange?
1: (laughs) You don't care as long as the mic is in front of you, do you? (laughs) There's a mic pointed at you. There's a camera pointed at you. Yeah, it's fun (laughs) to say that though. (laughs) So you're in a happy place anyway. Yeah. So to get started, I think let's talk a little bit about how we got started. So I'm going to take you back about a year and a year and a half ago, I think when we first met. Yeah. And you had this idea to say, we're doing these conversations and you wanted to make them more than just ephemeral, right? Like something that happened as an 100%. event and went away. Right. So that was kind of the starting point.
0: Well, actually, if you just allow me and interrupt for a second, it actually started even before when I think about it, the, the beginning was um, us wanting to capture conversations that were happening at the lighthouse period this wasn't even about you know, inviting guests in a more formal way. We felt that things were happening. We were having conversations with people over lunch and dinner and at the bar and so on and so forth. A lot of them were very interesting. It felt like an interesting moment in Dubai and in, at D3 especially in terms of the community that was forming at the time. Sort of multi-talented community, very versatile, many entrepreneurs, etc., and I think there was a feeling, at least on my part, but all of us, myself, Hani, Farah, the entire team, we want to capture that somehow. And I think the first uh, you know, step was to have the physical lighthouse conversations, which uh, were very successful, very interesting to us. A lot of people seemed to really enjoy them, but we were in a sort of restaurant type space where there is noise. We had to schedule them at a time when there were no other guests, we had to make the time work with our um, uh, the people that we were inviting to come on the show, etc. So it was just added you know, a few more elements of complexity. So we started saying, and I remember asking Farah to, maybe we can capture this on video. And she started experimenting and doing sort of a static video. And we took them on, uploaded them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we both looked at them. If you remember Farah, we both watched them and sort of like... Okay, good, but you know, I mean, do you really want to watch you know, sort of a static person for one hour? It felt like we were capturing something, but this wasn't the right spirit. Um, so we liked the physical aspect, but this was obviously only for the people that were there. And I remember thinking, for example, having uh, Sultan Akasami over, so I think it was uh, Iftar, and saying this was a great conversation, and you know, we, we didn't capture it, right? right? Or having Sam and Till, um, we didn't capture it. So that was the initial impetus. And the thought was, okay, how do we capture that uh, more broadly? And secondly, how do we try to disseminate this on a larger platform? And, and podcasts made sense. So we started doing some research and then
1: um, your name popped up. And so when we got started, I remember our, f- our first couple of conversations, we were just kind of ideating a little bit, right? And it sure. was kind of to say um, the themes you mentioned just now, which was D3 was an exciting space, fairly new and upcoming, you guys were doing some interesting stuff at the Lighthouse anyway, and you have been for the last couple of years. And I think because the Lighthouse has this almost cultural focus, something that uh, you're passionate about as well. Anyway, I think that was kind of where you were leaning initially to say, I want to talk to people that are in the space because they don't really have a lot of voice. Sure. But then also um, in terms of providing them a platform to talk about trends, right? So to talk about what is the space like here not just what interesting people are doing, but what is the overall space like? hundred so percent. Right? And you know,
0: I think it was also, it was rather a natural extension. It didn't feel like a departure from what we're doing. Because again, if you look back, we never started the Lighthouse with the idea that this would be a restaurant per se. It was this idea of a hub and it would have food and it would have music and it would have a store. So the podcast felt like a natural extension of connecting with like-minded people and a very efficient extension and it so happens that at the time I was also starting to fall in love with podcasts. Period. I mean, I had been for a while listening to podcasts, but then increasingly more and more. Um, a kind of funny anecdote on that, and you, you know this already. But um, you know, one of the early podcasts I started listening to was Alec Baldwin, and here's the thing. And I remember in my first one or two episodes, trying to kind of. Use the same tone, <laughs> right. and then listen to myself and say, "This really doesn't work." And I'm not Alec Baldwin, yeah. much as maybe I'd like to, or maybe I wouldn't like to. But regardless, I need to find my own my own voice, and that took a bit of time as well.
1: Has your podcast listenership, like listening habits, changed since they have you got changed. into it?
0: They have changed. It's a good question. They have evolved quite a bit. So there's a few core podcasts that I started listening to, I would say, three years ago, that I'm still listening to. Um, but the number has increased and the breadth has increased. It started uh, probably focused on, you know, I would, I would call them sort of personality-driven podcasts like uh, Alec Baldwin. Um, they didn't have to be sort of famous actors, but could be anyone, Tim Ferriss and people like that. And then uh, it broadened out. But it still remains my personal interest very topical um, and kind of very much in the interview genre, if you will. Yeah. I don't listen to much in terms of storytelling as much, or many people do, or kind of those episodes that are sort of almost like a Netflix show. That hasn't been really, yeah, part of my, my ritual.
1: Okay, so we're now about, we're almost touching a year of the show, right? Uh, a little less than that, but it's been more than a year since we've been planning and so working okay. on it. Yeah? Um, so how do you feel now if you were to look back at the last slightly short of a year, we, we, we hit 20 episodes, so it's quite a milestone. How do you feel about those kind of initial ideas you had around what a podcast was meant to achieve?
0: Yeah, look, uh, I, I feel really good about it. I mean, look, it's a, it's a work in progress. I think that's something you have to really, from the beginning, sort of admit to yourself. And you, as a producer of, of various shows, probably know that with a lot of the people you work with and with your own show as well. So I think the bar from the beginning, I set the bar accordingly in the sense that this is going to be a work in progress. You're going to like certain things, not like certain things, and you're going to evolve. And one of the things that I really strongly feel has been an evolution, especially with the advent of technology um, uh, in, in media in general, podcasts, audio and video, is that all of those, including yourself, are really micro-entrepreneurs You know that are starting to build a business. And that business uh, is around self-expression of sorts. It could be podcasts, it could be writing, newsletters, it could be blogs. But people for a while sort of didn't know how to categorize uh, that genre. And I think now it's sort of emerging as a thing. And I think that's great.
1: What you would traditionally call your content creators. But actually, as you as you correctly say, I think there is all the layers that you would expect from an entrepreneur, which is...
0: Well, 100%. So content creators, yes, but they used to be on large platforms, right? So you used to be have to be, if you're a show, adopted by a studio or if you're, you know, by, by a label. Or, and today, there's forms of self-expression, self-expression, excuse me, that, I mean, you're directly, it's a direct-to-consumer model. Hence, uh, a Chirag or someone else or a Hashem has to also learn about how to run it as a business, which is a new challenge. Before, maybe, you'll write your piece... You'll do your podcast, you'll submit it somewhere, off, hop it goes. And you don't have to, maybe they get paid for it. That's the what you am The
1: studio took care of a lot of the it stuff took care of everything. today. Yeah.
0: Now you are building these micro businesses, which I find fascinating and very, very important. Because like myself, many people have multiple interests. And the fact that they are doing one thing doesn't mean that they can add to it via writing, via podcasting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. So I think that was something that I was very aware of from the beginning that this is going to evolve over time. As you know we had a number of uh, let's call them themes or areas of interest obviously food being one, arts and culture being one, um, technology being one that we knew from the beginning we would gravitate towards somehow but you know this very well we didn't have a set list of guests. Uh, We really still don't. We do it more or less month by month. I mean we have to have Obviously, some planning, because I get asked this question all the time, but we don't plan eight months ahead, because we want to live the moment, and we want to um, have some flexibility. And also, there's something you know, as a producer of the show, is that we shifted stuff around uh, as, as things change. So, if I look back today, I feel that, yes, we've touched on a lot of very important subjects. We've had some very interesting conversations. We've also expressed a diverse point of view which in a city like Dubai is very important um, because I feel that uh, there is really no size fits all, one size fits all here. And the show was never intended to address uh, a particular type of audience. So it's quite general uh, and quite diverse.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, as you've touched on already, there's a whole uh, plethora of micro entrepreneurs, right? And, And all of them and the journey that what makes them or what motivates them and, and how they get there. But as it is, it's contrasted against the larger scene of what's happening in arts and culture here, what's happening in tech, food, of course. And we, I know you've 100%. touched on you know, so many, not only food entrepreneurs, but also food entrepreneurs that are innovating a lot, right? So you look that's at exactly things right. like Cloud Kitchens and all of these interesting themes that are coming up. Even chefs. I mean,
0: so I mean Reef yeah. is an entrepreneur or Ezo or, uh, in his own right. And I think that also goes a little bit against the common perception, maybe... Uh, Maybe less so in the states where entrepreneurship is far more sort of embraced and celebrated. Here, of thinking of entrepreneurship as a type, and typically people think of it in technology. So, if you have a startup that goes out and gets money from, you know, venture capital, um, those are legitimate entrepreneurs, and they're allowed to fail, and they're allowed to raise a lot of money. You know, that's over just not over. the case. Yeah, yeah, over and over again, everybody else is shut out yeah. because a restaurant or a uh, blogger or a chef, or a person, arts and culture. So of course, we're going against that narrative, right? So the counter narrative here is, if you look carefully at all of our episodes, with no exception, every one of them is an entrepreneur of sorts, um, in his craft. So even Richard Windsor, which is one of the recent episodes in technology, this is someone who was, you know, your kind of archetypical research analyst in a big investment bank. And part of the interest was not just the subject matter of technology for me, but was also how he's converted his craft into a business. The research product, think about it as a big cake. Uh, The the daily that you've been getting is the icing on that cake, which gives you an indication of how the product thinks, what kind of its opinions are. But if you actually want the cake itself, which is, you know, the real meat and the evidence that sits behind all of these uh, views and opinions that, that we have, you need to subscribe to the product. And the best way of doing that is basically it's an annual subscription-based product.
1: As much as the analysis of what's going on in big tech and the Senate hearings and TikTok and all that stuff was interesting, um, for me, what was really nice in that episode was learning his business model. Correct. And it's how he's looking at his analysis as a way of, or, or monetizing his analysis 100%. for his subscribers, right? 100%. Which is something that I'm personally evaluating as well. His model is so interesting because, of course, it's a very heavily analytical work but he's doing it in a, in a subscription model, which is... 100%,
0: and and you know this well. I mean, in the newsletter slash blogging business now,
1: you're seeing this model also
0: evolve, where many people, we discussed it on the show, people like Ben Thompson from Strategrary, some others as well, I mean, quite a few actually, that started with a daily newsletter. Then they've amassed a certain number of um, subscribers. subscribers yeah. And then they started saying, hey, would you mind if I add a bit more I'll throw in a bit more, but I'll charge you $10 a, a month. All of a sudden, they actually have a business um, that's self-sustaining. They do what they love. And then you are now have an ecosystem that's developed around that business. The tools, the tech tools will evolve, but also um, the type of entrepreneurs attracted to it, who maybe today writing in a kind of more traditional way for a newspaper or a traditional media company, will start shifting. The other thing that I found, though, very interesting is It doesn't always translate from medium to medium so in my experience for example I have had a number of newsletters that I follow that I find brilliant and then uh, that individual would say you know uh, I'm gonna add in a podcast weekly podcast but I'll charge you five dollars and I typically always say yes because you can always cancel and I found that you know that person is brilliant on paper but not so good in in audio format not always the case but in some cases I am a huge fan of, uh, of Kara Swisher as a podcaster. I read her articles in The New York Times, but they don't grab me nearly as much. Things like that. So you start seeing the differences between the mediums. So it doesn't and I think we're in the very, very, very early days of that. So in my view, in the next five to 10 years, this, you'll start seeing sub-specializations. And our hope is that obviously in this part of the world, this happens as well.
1: It is often postulized that this region tends to follow um, places like the U.S. and stuff where these trends kind of emerge maybe a few years later. But then the scale up is much, much faster. So what might take in the U.S. 10 years to reach a certain kind of peak may, may only happen inside two years here or three years here. Um, so I think that's what we're looking at, and we're starting to see. So. I really hope so. Yeah, we're starting to see more business. At least, for example, if you look at the podcasting space or uh, audio space, or just the content space. That's true. Um, and I think one of the big things, and we'll kind of touch on that too, is is what COVID has done to a lot of these models as well, right? So a lot of the people that were looking at traditional forms of publishing are now having or are forced to innovate and turn things around because of the fact that they couldn't address their audiences in the old way. So you had people like Arabian Business, for example, that have started a subscription service. Correct. Something that they were not doing before. Correct. Um, And so you're starting to see this accelerated shift uh, uh, due to an unfortunate situation around the world, but it's still a shift in terms of what entrepreneurs are doing. right? And
0: and to me, the common thread here, I think you touched on something very interesting, which I know you wanted to talk about, which is sort of this many of those business models will also be a combination of physical and digital. Yeah. Um, I think the underlying commonality to me is quality. So if it's not good, it's not going to work. It's not going to work physically. It's not going to work digitally. You know, so if you have a sandwich shop and the sandwiches are not good, uh, it is not likely that if you start a um, delivery service, all of a sudden they take off just because you've put it online. Similarly, if your content is not strong enough, um, it, I, in my view, it's not going to matter much. Uh, of course, you will be unmasked a lot more digitally because, and I'm not saying Arabian business is a case in, in, in of a lack of quality, right. I'm saying that just a model of a media company going online with what's happened over the last two couple of years, people sometimes seem to conflate that this kind of gives you an additional audience. It can but only if you're spectacular or at least really good. If you're not, I don't think that's going to make any difference whether you're online or offline or a combination of both.
1: Yeah, and I think as well, uh, you're correct in saying that, you know, people look at this as a one or the other thing. That's not true, I think. And, and I think COVID has kind of really exposed 100%. that, uh, better, you know, more than ever before, where it has to be some kind of hybrid in almost anything that you're doing. So even if you look at stuff we were doing pre-COVID, which was yeah we're doing digital content but we're also doing events right we're also doing things on the ground um, and then you have, for example, like what you were doing, which is you have a physical space and you're taking it digital and looking at a, way, a different way to connect your, with your audience. But there's always going to be overlap. Right? There are people that are loyal to your restaurant will say, oh, I would love to listen to what these guys are producing, even if it's digital content Hundred uh, and vice versa. Right. I, I really like this podcast. I'm going to go attend their event. So I, like, I don't think you can just kind of separate the two and say, I'm only going to talk about this or that anymore.
0: I think that's exactly right. I think you, you kind of, uh, you know, caught the essence of what I wanted to say, which is, For us, it was always seen as a continuum. We started more from the physical side, um, but today we look at those, the digital and the physical, as they reinforce each other, they back each other up. Whether digital as a channel sends people to the physical location, or you come to the physical location and realize we have a digital platform and go there, that's great. I would like to give you an experience that ultimately is just high quality. So if you're listening to our playlist in the restaurant, or at D3 or in another location it's going to come soon, hopefully, or um, at home on Spotify, I want you to think it's a good playlist. That's really what matters to me. If you come to one of our talks, um, or we record it as we have with you know Zaki Noseba, I mean, we recorded a live conversation and then turned it into a podcast. My hope is those that were there got as much out of it as those that listened to it um, at home. So, And that's a challenge, and that's why I'm going to go back to to the point of it's uh, an evolution. So I feel we we have covered a lot of ground over the last year or so on a lot of topics, but there's a lot more we can do. And you need to stay fresh, both in terms of the content, so the interviews we're having, but also the way we're delivering that content, right? It's something you and I talked about. So we obviously, you, you do by definition, and I also... Um, carefully follow trends that I see to see what works and what doesn't. When you hear something like Spotify is going to, you know, now start, you know, doing podcasts, but it's going to turn it with video. I mean, interesting. Does it make it a YouTube? Is that going to grab me? Some of us are far more kind of uh, visually oriented. Some of us. It- much prefer audio.
1: Yeah. And again, it goes back to, we are talking about digital versus physical. It's the same thing with, within digital as well. It's not one or the Correct. other necessarily. Correct. Right. So, so we've used things like, for example, using teasers and we've done that with uh, right. the light conversations as well, where we've had a teaser of, uh, or a clip of something for social media and then transfer that back to the full audio.
0: When I look at, I don't know, pivot, you know, uh, I, I love the teasers of seeing uh, uh, Galloway, Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher duel it out for 30 seconds. I'm not sure I can handle you know, one hour of Scott Galloway on video, but I love it on audio. So that's just a personal thing. And I was with a friend the other day and he mentioned to me, I mentioned a book to him and he said, oh yeah, please send it to me. I'm going to listen to it. I absorb it much better in audio form than reading. You are you know, kind of consuming that content in various forms and it can get you to the same place, meaning processing it and learning something from it. That's fantastic.
1: And it also goes back to what you were saying earlier. At the end of the day, the content has to be good. And that content has to be good is not only a factor of the quality of the conversation, but also does it fit in the medium that we're trying to deliver it in, right? So uh, there are some interviews, as you said right now, that for you as as a member of the audience would not want to see that kind of duel for an hour, Correct. And that's something that, obviously, Kara Swisher has to decide. But, you know, do I want to do this for an hour or not? And, and do I want to just do teasers and leave the rest in audio? And I think these are things right. that are evolving. And, and I think feedback is so important, right? Talking to the people who are consuming what you're taking in 100%. Uh,
0: is so important, right? And I feel within that kind of we need also a better way to provide feedback. So to me, again, I mean, we talked a little bit about this in, in previous uh, uh, episodes and I wrote a little bit about it the more friction, the more complicated it gets. And I feel we need to eliminate points of friction. So for example, when I'm listening to a podcast, beyond kind of just quickly do the five stars, which to me doesn't mean all that much. Is there a way for people to provide meaningful content but quickly and that is frictionless for them? Because as you said, feedback is very important. Any kind of feedback is very important. And um, not enough people yet feel invested to be able to kind of take the next step, which is provide feedback. They do when you meet them by chance or when you hang out with them and they're like, oh, I actually listened to this episode and so on. So I'm just kind of saying this because I'd love to encourage more people to, to proactively provide feedback, not just to us, but in general, because for any content creators, feedback is really, really helpful
1: crucial absolutely crucial, crucial right exactly. and, and we also understand and we are also consumers of contents we also understand that sometimes it takes two steps to get there so exactly. sometimes you have to exactly. finish listening to the podcast jump on the instagram to go provide feedback which exactly. is sometimes can be a deterrent exactly. and completely understandable as well uh, but but it's something that's super crucial one thing i wanted to ask you about was uh, we'll talk about like the sort of the post-covid changes right uh, from a, from the podcast point of view when it hit, and I think you had, uh, because we had a conversation pretty quickly after, and right away you were like, listen, we're closing the restaurant, so I'm going to double down on the podcast, and I want to make sure that we continue to communicate and connect with the, our audience through the podcast, right? So um, talk me through what was that like in that period sure. of talking to the guests and having, sort of, having to shift this whole thing remotely.
0: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm very grateful to you and having had that show, because exactly to your point it really gave us a feeling that we are continuing our dialogue uh, and conversation with our guests, uh, even though the restaurant was shut, which was very, very important, uh, because we were able to stay relevant, but also to continue talking to them actively, because the last thing you want during an epidemic or a crisis is to feel that you have no options. And frankly, it gave me even an excuse to reach out to a lot of people that haven't made it on the podcast yet, but just to talk to them, because once I've started reaching out to people to say, I'd like to bring you on on the podcast to talk about the impact of COVID on you as a person, as a business, etc., it led to other conversations. And what I realized there was a couple of things. One is, at the best of times, entrepreneurship is a very lonely business. So during COVID, I think, multiplied that by 10. I mean, people were... Weren't sure if they can reopen, whether it's a physical space or an online space. They were having challenges, uh, obviously, re- revenue collapse for most businesses, challenging with staff, challenges with um, you know mental health, challenges with physical health. So I had a number of uh, conversations during that period, which really helped me understand, A, you're not alone, to think through options, even if you knew that many of them might wind up not materializing or or you wind up doing something completely different in other words we looked at the lighthouse and we said okay here's scenario one two and three for the next three months and six months our final scenario when we reopened was a combination of those but at least we felt we were able to think things through and pull ourselves together to do that if you don't have that dialogue uh, I know many entrepreneurs don't because you just don't have that uh, uh, ecosystem of support becomes much harder.
1: Is there something you learned from maybe a particular guest or maybe just generally as a theme the last year, but also the last six months during COVID?
0: Well, most certainly a, a, a higher level of empathy. I mean, I always understood that obviously, the, as I said, entrepreneurship is hard. But when you talk to them, I mean, we you remember very well, we did a show with Chris Khalifa founder of a uh, sort of street food Egyptian uh, restaurant and he had just moved to New York when we did the episode and he was excited and then boom, everything closed. And the first thought I had, if you recall, we, we both had, were like, we need to, before we air this episode, we need to actually add an addendum for him to speak about what happened since because the world has changed.
1: I think the the transition from being so aggressively thinking about the business in terms of growth and being in such an exciting state of hitting milestone after milestone that we never dreamt of to suddenly within seven days or 10 days shifting the psychology from growth to survival has been uh, has been quite the experience i don't think i've ever experienced anything like it since we started zuba
0: because we're in the middle of that you can't help not feel a, a lot of empathy but also kind of a deep sense i think of gratitude um that, that this exists and that we're able to do the things we love. I mean, I came from an industry before, which was investment banking, finance in general, where it is notoriously known for lack of those things. <laughs> I mean, you know, you bulldoze through. Um, if you show any kind of weakness, I generalizing, of course, it's not as bad, but, but in many cases it is. Um, you, you, you look weak. I think sharing uh, anything kind of emotionally charged Uh, could be exploited or seen as potentially. So you're really kind of almost, you know, uh, conditioned to, to bottle it all up. It's extremely unhealthy. So I felt a lot of gratitude that I am able to express myself. And I think talking to all these guests really helped with that. I was astounded by how many of them are juggling multiple careers in some cases and multiple lives. Again, One tends to, or maybe just because I'm very self-absorbed, but one tends to think you're the only one doing that. And I realize a lot of them, you remember many of our guests, many of our women guests, especially female guests, very gracefully navigating uh, having a family, children, in many cases, young children and their jobs, and if you recall, we've asked several times the question of, do you bring them into your, your workspace or not? And we've had different answers.
1: Yeah, so for example, you had asked this question to Dina Abu Ahmed as well about whether her son accompanies her on her various projects.
0: Now, he's been dragged around a lot.
1: Yeah, well, we yeah. all have done yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. But...
0: He's been dragged around to a lot of fairs, lots of factories, yeah. lots of you know, retailers, all that. But I think now that he's older, uh, I feel it registered. And he asks questions and he knows that there's certain things that are attainable to him that he can do because of what he's experienced with me and what he's seen. And I think the last thing that I would mention is it really, which is something we touched on already, it really um, reminded me again and again why it's important to build that ecosystem here in the region. Um, In other parts around the world, especially in the U.S., it's far more developed how genuine it is, I can't tell, but it's there. If you need resources, they're there, and in many cases, the resources are not, you know, necessarily. Uh, they're small things. You know, I have a business. I mean, how do I find an Arabic to English translator? Who does my accounting? Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Um, how do I open a bank account? So you know, in the U.S., obviously, not just in tech, but across the board, you have this very developed ecosystem of the likes of Y Combinator and others that kind of embrace you and bring you in and teach you these things and you find them online. We have it here a little bit in the tech arena, places like WAMDA, mm. but I think you need a lot more on that. And because you'll, this is another thing we learned, how, how many entrepreneurs get stuck in that phase, right? I mean, opening bank account could take you six months, months, yeah, right? And then, you know, without a bank account, there's no business. So it's simple things like that. We, we tend to think of the big picture. But there's also the day-to-day. I would really love to see uh, individuals and organizations rally together because there are common denominators for all small businesses and entrepreneurs that would cut across industries that would be very helpful. I mean, almost like just a manual. You know, if you had like an online site, with four or five different categories, that itself would be, would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the US, so there's, a, there's a service by Stripe, which is a payment provider. You can pay them and they will op- they'll set they up a bank everything. account and, and a company license in, Shopify, in a tax neutral thing. zone and everything, um, and, and you're sorted, right? And it takes, it, the, the timeline is like two weeks.
0: If you go to Shopify today and say, I want to have an e-commerce business, and you're in the US or Europe probably, they'll say, done, we will do everything for you. Exactly, we'll do, in fact, they do now logistics, procurement, uh, you know, payment systems, the whole thing. Imagine here. I mean, you know, the the, the time, and resources needed are overwhelming. So those are the kind of things that we've learned, and I think would love to see change. Maybe one last thing on that note, Chirag, is also I think the issue, which we will start tackling as well in the podcast as one of our next uh, future guests, is I think mental health. I mean, I think that, again, COVID... Many things happened. Certainly many people were affected from a physical health perspective and that's very well covered. The mental health perspective is I think far less covered and again, uh, certainly in this part of the world, you know, I think we kind of naturally want to say Alhamdulillah, everything is fine and that's great and I'm not saying we shouldn't be grateful of what we have. This has profound implications from everyone that runs a business and their families, how they dealt with each other, how they dealt with their co-workers and I Feel that we, including myself, there's a resistance to talk about it openly and certainly an urge to move on, which is understandable. Yeah,
1: now <laughs> let's just write of these six months. And just that's right, start we have started over. six
0: months, it's been terrible, but you know what? Alhamdulillah, let's move on. And I think what we're going to try to do as part of our future uh, uh, episodes is you know, uh, maybe uh, kind of dissect this a bit more. Because I do think it's a very important point. Some people might be more willing to talk about it than others. We're not looking for people to tell us necessarily their deepest secrets. But I feel, again, this point of being emotionally available and vulnerable is actually very much part of the journey. And if you're not able to talk about it and ideally document it in some way and share it, you're almost missing out on a golden opportunity to to evolve.
1: We are in a situation where, obviously, everybody's now impacted here mentally, and so that's one aspect of it. But the other side of it is we have, for very long, and yeah, a little bit of it is my opinion, but for very long, living in a very um, perception culture, correct, worldwide. And this is not a this is not a cultural thing. I mean, just so everything is about the achievement, the highlight, the achievement, right. the highlight. And so I think for me, why that conversation is so important is if we can talk relatively openly about. The mental health impacts or what it felt like or the fact that there was no motivation to do things on certain days maybe someone listening to that will realize that okay actually I'm not alone or importantly like it's I'm, I'm not the only one impacted or it's not only my circle it's even the the one that looks like they're doing an amazing and very successful or running a very successful company is also dealing with the same issues of motivation and getting started and figuring out how the business will evolve and or just life will evolve because of all this And I think it's so we get so caught up in this uh, no, 100%. Thing,
0: yeah? And I found myself needing this, and the way I found out is by realizing that a number of the episodes of or podcasts that I gravitated towards were discussing the subject. I mean, this morning, coming to my car, I was listening to Tim Ferriss, and, and there was a gentleman on his show called Brad Felt, who is extremely successful, as I found out. I had never heard of him before. It was a two-hour episode, so very long. But... I would say half the episode was devoted to his episodical depression, how he got out of it, the tools, etc, and the other half was about a number of his very kind of public achievements in in professional life. so you know, and they talked about both almost interchangeably, which I found very refreshing because of the perception that it's either or right, So if you have any of those issues anxiety, depression, et cetera, et cetera. That's a failure. You should be ashamed of it. This guy was talking about it as made it part of his life, something he deals with, and almost sort of turned it in his advantage. I mean, there's many others I mean, um, that I've been listening to. And I realized that I was listening to them because um, it is of that kind of embrace uh, of this issue um, and the need for it not to be seen as you know um, the part no one wants to talk about. If nothing else, even if it's not a serious mental health issue, I mean, anxiety, right? And the ways you've dealt with this anxiety as well.
1: Oh, it's a day-to-day thing for a lot of people, right? 100%. I mean, so brushing it under a carpet, uh, which tends to happen or or was happening, it's not healthy at the end of the day, right? It's for not- them, for for the person listening to it, for the people around them, and for anybody else that could be benefited by this, right? And that's, I think, setting that example is so important. Um, so that's one of the things you mentioned of something that you're looking forward to to doing with the show Um, is there anything else
0: I think uh, obviously look to your point about COVID earlier I mean you know we are one of the businesses that just reopened successfully we're very grateful to have been able to do that but I think we will be wanting to cover a lot of businesses um, on both sides of the spectrum those that have been able to uh, absorb this hit one way or the other how did they change but some who have not as well and I want to have them on the show as well I mean for many businesses that that didn't make it, there's huge learnings for for all of us. Absolutely. So I think that's something that I would like to bring more over the next, let's say three to six months, especially as we're still in ongoing battle against this pandemic. Um, and then I think thirdly, you know I think we will continue covering obviously the main kind of um, buckets of interest that we have but perhaps explore, and we've started doing this a little bit. So we've explored food, explored technology, we explored the intersection of those two. We've explored arts and culture. To some extent, we brought it back to, 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 to that. So we talked, for example, about curation and art. We talked about curation and food with Deborah. I'd like to, though, explore more and more some of those intersections. And again, the point of you being here that they all almost lead you to the same place. And another related topic that I touched on earlier is those entrepreneurs that are doing multiple things. Another stigma that it has to be, you know, Chirag has to be a podcast producer, you know? <laughs> right. But if you come to me today and say, but you know what, actually I paint on the side, what? You're an artist? <laughs> you didn't tell me that, you know? So I want to debunk that a bit and, and find guests that can give us that perspective because many of us have multiple interests. And have learned and were very privileged to be in that position over the last couple of years, that you can pursue them, and you can pursue them uh, even commercially, in a way that you can earn a living. Sure. And that's a great thing, because it embraces so many parts of your personality. You know, when I was a banker, again, one of my biggest regrets at the time, and I felt that I just felt unbalanced. Parts of my brain were being used in a very heavy way, but there were other parts that were completely underutilized, and that just didn't feel, after a while, to be a very balanced way of living.
1: Do you feel like you're balanced now? More balanced. Look, More balanced I, mean, now? I mean, I
0: have to be slightly unhinged uh, to be myself. But, but I think compared to where I was five years ago, for sure. Um, look, it's a different set of struggles. Now I have to manage my time accordingly. If I have four, five, six different interests, what time do you devote to each? There has to be an element of impulse control. All of those things. So those are ongoing struggles for me. But by and large, yes, I do feel that I'm able to express, you know, m- multiple parts of my personality and my interest compared to five or 10 years ago. You've
1: done, you, you started out doing live shows. We've done one um, earlier this year, uh, as we mentioned with Zach and Siba, uh, And you've done a bunch of offline ones. Do you have a preference between the two?
0: It's a very good question. So you know what's interesting about that is what I've, and this is again, I'm learning. So one of the issues was that, I tend to do non-live shows like this one as if it's live. So I don't give myself a break. You don't kind of, you know, you, you feel you're on stage. But oh, you're I, thought you meant,
1: I thought you meant you were waiting for us to start applauding in the back. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: would be nice, but no, you don't have to. And vice versa. So I think, you know, I'm learning now that depending on the medium, you can act differently. If you're in a non-live show, you can take a minute to process. You don't need to speak with someone like me so fast and fast you don't need to do this also in a live show, but it's different. You know what I mean? I have found, obviously, look, um, recorded shows are easier. I'm not going to lie. But there's a thrill that comes with, I mean, it's not like, you know, we have a, an audience of thousands of people, but there, there's a thrill of having an audience that you feed off and you interact with. And of course, the part that we do in a live show, which is a Q&A, is great and fascinating to me because you get a sense of what people got out of the show immediately and, you know, what kind of questions. So you almost get an immediate feedback.
1: We were just talking about feedback and how important it is. This is is so instantaneous, right? Like waiting for maybe only 10% of the people who will actually take those extra two steps to tell you something back. Whereas here, you can hear the laughter in the room instantly. And if you're
0: someone like me who's sort of eager to please and kind of likes to get, you know, like, you know, patted on the head for doing the right thing, of course, that's very gratifying because you almost immediately find out, A, was it shit? Excuse my language, <laughs> because if there's no questions, it probably means it wasn't so good. And then the type of questions are very indicative. So that's a hugely gratifying part of a live show. A combo is probably nice. Live show, live shows take more out of you. So I think if you recall, sort of pre-COVID, our idea was let's try to do a live show every month or two, and the rest, which is sort of every other week, is on podcast level. That feels to me like a healthy balance. The second thing is not everyone is good in front of an audience, so you have to think about your guests
1: as well. Zaki Noseba is a complete natural,
0: right? So, I mean, we could have stayed for hours.
1: Yeah, and I think everybody would have also stayed for hours and for then hours. asked I mean, you know, more questions at yeah, the end I mean, as well, he, Yeah, he
0: started speaking, he started, you know, using German words, you know. The became
1: accepted in English language as a kind of term, term in, in the aesthetics of a whole work that brings in different aspects. Uh, not only just one aspect. And to me, if I want to describe my relationship with art, I would call it a gesamt Kunst erfahrung which yeah. means experience. It's really, the, the experience is not just one side of it, one aspect of it.
0: So if you have someone like him, by all means, do not put him in a studio. You know, you need to have a live show. Others are a little bit more um, introverted and I think prefer... Uh, prefer this kind of setting
1: yeah they like it more relaxed they like the fact that the camera isn't pointed at them
0: and the other thing on that by the way that I've learned is I used to when we used to do just the, the live ones at the beginning never sent questions out because I thought it was a lot more spontaneous and fun and it was but for those that like to prepare I learned that well as you well know we don't send them a script but sending
1: guiding questions helps yeah, it helps them gather their thoughts, gather and what, their you thoughts. know, and be in the right mind space to have the 100%. conversation. Yeah.
0: But then again, I mean, when we had Richard Winston the other day on the show, um, he said, "I don't want any questions. I, I'd rather just sort of chat."
1: So I, me and Fer, I have to remember to applaud you when we're sitting in the studio. So, so, you're, so you, you don't feed. have to
0: applaud, but if you like do something with your eyes, for example, or or just not like, give me like a thumbs up, I mean, that that's fine. Immediate feedback. That's I what mean, you want. I'm someone <laughs> who is in constant need of affirmative. Feedback that you know I'm doing the right thing. So you know whatever
1: you can do to help. So the fact that we come back every other week to record with you is not good enough. We need to do more.
0: I mean, you could be sending me weekly messages of encouragement. You could, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're it's okay. A, it's a work in progress here <laughs> yeah. too. I get yeah. it. We, I we'll mean, also evolve. <laughs> don't shy away from doing more. I'm happily accept. You know, uh, more compliments. If there's something negative. I'd rather put it in writing. Send me an email.
1: Why is that better? <laughs>
0: Because I have the choice of not reading it. If you cite, like put in the title Negative Feedback, I may just completely uh, ignore it. Okay,
1: yeah, noted. So so to all our listeners as well, if you have negative feedback about the show, please title it accordingly so we know better. Exactly.
0: <laughs> right, Negative Feedback, and then I'll choose to open it when I'm ready.
1: Right, yeah. fair enough. Okay, well, on that note, I think we'll, we'll we'll draw this episode to a close. It was good catching up with you, Hashim. Um, it's a nice sort of look back considering we opened with a sort of an inaugural episode where we talked about what we were hoping to do. So it's nice to reflect at the end of 20 episodes about what we have done and what we're looking forward. Is there anything else you want to add? No,
0: thank you. Just thank you. And uh, thanks to Farah and for everyone that's really worked so hard on this. I'm very proud of the fact that we've reached 20 and many more to come, inshallah. And um, yeah, I feel, to be honest, uh, generally gratified that we were, at least for Farah and I, who knew so little about this medium only a year ago, that now feel we have some understanding of it we're still honing our craft but that's exciting and it's nice to be part of something that's one evolving but also kind of part of the current zeitgeist which this definitely is
1: thank you for tuning into the lighthouse conversations this week with me Chirag Desai and your host Hashim Montaser. and as we mentioned we'd love your feedback so you can reach out to us on instagram at the lighthouse underscore ae or leave us a review on apple Podcasts or imdb we'll be back in two weeks
0: this way i have the last word thank you You wanted to say it like that? (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back in two weeks.
1: And I get the last word. Thank you.